Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we praise your name. We praise the name of the Lord our God. We will praise your name forevermore. God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift you up. We honor you. We give you and you alone the glory. And we thank you for who you are. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. So, Lord, this, this morning we pray that you would, in that praise and in that honor, that you would help us to grow more like you. Lord, that as we look to you, as we give you that praise and honor, that our lives would more reflect you. So, Lord, speak to us through your worship and through your word. Speak to us this morning that we could go out and be changed, that our lives would be changed by you so that we could become, that we could live out and be the men and women of God that you have called us to be. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we lift all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Take your Bibles or your apps, or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament, the end of your Bible. It's a larger book, so if you kind of flip through, you'll probably stumble across it as you move towards the the back. If you reach Revelation, you've gone too far. That's the last book in the Bible. So back up if you've gotten to Revelation. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your device, we have Bibles in the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible at the end of the service and do this. I want you to take that Bible out of the pew at the end of the service. And I just want you to just tuck it underneath your arm and stand up and walk out the door with it. Uh, We want everybody to have a Bible at home. So take that Bible with you and consider it a gift from us to you. Uh, We would love for you to have it. Now, before I dive into my message, I want to highlight a few things. Pastor Josh is going to mention these, but uh, I want to bring these to your attention a lot this morning. The first thing is we have three different events that are taking place Easter weekend. Do you realize that? We have the Passion Play, which we are all very excited about. There are tickets out on the table just outside the doors here. Take those tickets, they're like invite cards, pass those out to people that you would like to invite to the Passion Play. The second event that's coming up is the Saturday before Easter, the day before Easter. We're having a massive Easter egg hunt here on our campus uh, and inviting families from all over the community to come and get involved in that. But here's the thing, we need some help with that. Uh, No, you don't necessarily have to be here on Saturday morning wrangling children. We're not asking that help. We have 7,500 eggs that need things put in them. Like we need candy and we need tiny little toys to put in these eggs. So here's my challenge to you. Everybody listen carefully. If you ignore my entire sermon, I want you to hear this. I probably shouldn't have said that. But here's what I want you to, to listen to. Our great need right now as First Southern is for items to put in those eggs. We have 7,500 eggs, and I don't know about you, but if my child goes out and picks up an egg and it's empty, he's going to be sorely disappointed. So here's what I want you to do. Ladies, I want you to go out sometime this week or in the middle of the next week. 
You have, we can turn stuff in next weekend or you can bring it to the office anytime in the next two weeks until the Thursday before Easter, okay? You with me so far? So what I want you to do is I want you, when you go to the grocery store, I want you to buy a bag or a dozen bags of candy, okay? We need candy for these eggs. Or, you're going to really like this, ladies, go to Hobby Lobby, or a, a store, a shop like that, and buy little, little toys that can fit inside of an egg. So we need candy and toys. Are you with me? Okay, so we have passion play, we have an Easter egg hunt, we need candy and toys, and we have Easter services on Easter morning. We're going to keep our regular service time, so 9.30 and 11, and we want you to be inviting people to all three of these events. This is a great opportunity during the year for your friends who don't know Jesus Christ to come and experience him. And as I've been saying for the last three weeks, eight out of ten people say they would come to church if someone they know would invite them. That number probably increases during the Easter season. So if you've got a friend or a co-worker or an acquaintance or a stranger on the street that you've noticed that you want to invite to church, this is the season. This is the time. And so I encourage you, invite them to the Passion Play. If they've got kids, bring them to the Easter egg hunt. But bring some candy and some toys so that there are things in the eggs when those kids pick them up. And invite them to our two Easter services. Um, and, And let the Easter season be a time of year where people can experience the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the announcements. Josh is going to mention these again, uh, candy and toys. Um, He's going to mention this again at the end of the service, candy and toys. Um, And so you'll hear this again, candy and toys, that we are going to have three events, candy and toys, at Easter weekend, candy and toys. Is the subliminal messaging working yet? Go get some candy and toys. We need it. (laughs) So... But you can turn that stuff in next weekend or any time during office hours in the next two weeks. So, that being said, let's get to the message. If you haven't gotten there, we're in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. We're continuing in our series called The Seven Sayings of Christ, of Jesus from the Cross. And so we've been looking at, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he made seven statements. And we've been looking at each one of those. Um, we are just a few weeks from ending this series. This is, uh, we've got this one, and then two more, and then this series is done. And then we hit Easter, which is a great time of year. So, let me uh, ask you a question to kind of intro this. Have you ever experienced something that... Until you had actually experienced it, you had no idea how amazing it was or how bad it was. Or have you ever had somebody say, oh, you just don't understand until you blah, 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 fill in the blank. A great example is, well, you just don't, you won't understand until you have kids. Those of you who have kids, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I can tell you that I've had a lot of experiences over the years that, I don't know that an explanation or even seeing a video of it can do justice until you actually experience that event or that that circumstance in your own life. Some are good, some are bad, right? Uh, So think about it. I went skydiving for my 40th birthday. 
Um, and it was an amazing, and some of you go, I don't want to experience that. I understand. Uh, there are two tra- lines of thinking when it comes to skydiving. You're either, yes, I would love to do that, or why in the world would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane, right? <laughs> now, there are two lines of thinking. I've always wanted to go skydiving, but there is, I could not do skydiving justice by describing it verbally. I have a video of me jumping out of a plane, and they took a video of me as I free fell, you know, d- down. And it was amazing, and the video is kind of funny because um, at the time I had this really long mustache, um, and the mustache and my beard just was everywhere. It, it, it was in my eyes, it was in my ears, it was, it was the funniest looking thing you'll ever see. But even seeing that does not do it justice until you've actually done it. It's, you just can't do the explanation properly and understand what it's really like. But I think the biggest life-changing event in my life that I had people say, oh, you, you just won't understand until you blah, blah, blah. The biggest one was when, I had, when Jana had Knox, our firstborn son. Um, and I'll tell you right now, if you've got kids, you know what I mean. If you don't have kids, it is a life-changing experience. And I can't do it justice by describing it. The only way you can truly grasp what it's like is to experience it yourself, right? Those of you who have kids, is that a truthful statement? Yes, it absolutely is. There's something about experiencing it that makes you connect with the importance of that circumstance in your life. There will be a sermon coming up in the future where I talk about what I learned about the love that God has for us because I had kids. Because I never, I didn't understand God's love the way I understand it now until I had had children. Um, And believe me, when we get to that story, there's there's a backstory to it and everything because we didn't think we were going to be able to have kids. And so to be able to have them in the midst of, of that even made it more uh, impactful in my life. But here's the thing. In today's message, in today's passage, the statement we're reading, we understand that Jesus experienced what we experience. And that's a big deal. And and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me give you a background on what has happened uh, up to the point where Jesus makes this statement. Jesus, it's the Passover season, which means uh, Jewish people from all over the world have, have flocked to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus came in that week. He enters triumphantly. Um, he spends the week teaching in the temple, uh, just teaching us amazing truths. And then at the end of the week, he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. Uh, In that meal, it's revealed that uh, Judas is going to betray Jesus. And so Judas leaves. And then Jesus goes and prays in the garden. He's arrested. He's illegally tried overnight. And he is condemned to death. Death on a cross. And from the cross, he makes multiple statements. But the statement that he makes in today's passage is found in John 19, 28, and 29. And it says this. After Jesus, knowing... That all was now finished said, he said this to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch 
and held it to his mouth. Interesting statement. Why would this statement be written down, I think is a big question. Because it seems pretty minuscule, doesn't it? Uh, For Jesus to say, I thirst. Okay, he's been hanging on a cross for somewhere around six hours. Of course he's thirsty. Why does John record that statement? Well, he says so in his very own, uh, in the passage itself. He says it first off, there are three reasons. The first reason being, it was to fulfill prophecy. There was a prophecy that was made in Psalm 69, verse 21. And it says, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So the first reason that John gives us this seemingly meaningless statement is because it fulfilled a prophecy. So yet again, we're seeing a statement that is made to fulfill a prediction that was made a thousand years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And I'll say it again as I've said, I think this gives me hope. And I hope it gives you hope because the God of the universe knows exactly what is going to happen in your life. He knew exactly what was going to happen to Jesus on the cross. And he knows exactly what's going to happen to your life. Your life is in his hands. Go read Romans chapter 8. And it gives us this beautiful promise of the fact that God has our lives in his hands. And everything that he does is ultimately for our good. Even the seemingly bad things. And so this first reason that John has this passage, this statement, is because it fulfills prophecy. The second reason that John wanted us to know this statement is he wanted us to know of Jesus' humanity. He wanted us to know of Jesus' humanity. So let me get a little scholarly with you for a moment. The book of John was written much later than the other three Gospels. So when we say the word, the, the statement, the Gospels, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written shortly after Jesus had resurrected from the grave and ascended into heaven. Uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke had written down basically Jesus' life and teachings in their books. Then John doesn't write his book for several decades later. And the world had changed in that, that decade's time. In that time span between when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written and when John was written, the world, the Christian world, had changed dramatically. There were new false teachings all over the place. And in John's time, uh, towards the end of John's life, John was battling against a false teaching called Gnosticism. If you want to go look it up, it starts with a G. Gnosticism, if you want to enunciate it all out. But it's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a mixture of Christian teaching and Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy taught that everything good is spiritual and everything physical is bad. And so they taught this very deep idea that if, they, if it was a physical thing, then it was evil. And so the the believers of Gnosticism said, well, if everything 
that is evil is wrapped up in the physical world, if everything physical has evil to it, then Jesus must not have been a real physical person. Because how could physical evil be in the Son of God? And so John comes on the scene, and if you read Revelation, you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and you read the Gospel of John, you're going to see John teaching against this false doctrine a lot. Because that was the predominant false teaching at that time. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? The Bible doesn't teach that the physical is evil. Now we are tempted because of physical temptations, but that doesn't make the physical evil. And so John is countering this, and he uses this simple statement to say Jesus had a real physical body. As he hung on the cross, he needed a drink. He was physical. He had 100% humanity and 100% deity. He was both 100%. And so John is trying to help us understand that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God. He was the Son of God in flesh. Does that make sense? So, that's the second reason why John gives us this very simple statement, I thirst, is because he is actually fighting against a false teaching. And he's writing this statement to counteract that false teaching. So, he wrote this because it fulfilled prophecy and because he wanted us to know Jesus' humanity. The third reason John wrote this down was because he wanted us to know Jesus' sympathy. He wanted us to know of Jesus' sympathy. Now, here's my big idea for the day, for this week. This is that statement that I want you to wrestle with and think about this week. And this statement is simply this. Jesus can have true sympathy because he lived true empathy. Jesus can have true sympathy because he lived true empathy. And I'll explain this statement as we continue on. But let's take our Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. In this passage, the writer of Hebrews gives us an amazing, beautiful truth about how Jesus can connect and identify with our struggles. Go back to my beginning question, my beginning opening statement. That idea that there are some things that you can't truly understand until you've experienced them yourself. Well, knowing that, Jesus experienced life and temptation and pain fully. Look at what Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus can sympathize and empathize with our struggles because he experienced them himself. Now, I would go as far to say 
that Jesus probably, even without experiencing all of our struggles and pains, I think Jesus could still empathize and sympathize because he's the son of God after all, right? But I think that Jesus went through all that for us to have more confidence in him. I think it was for our sake that Jesus went through all of the physical, physical pain, all the struggles, all the temptations. He did that not because he needed a way to sympathize, but he did that to show us that he was willing to empathize with us. He was willing to experience it so that we could feel that he sympathized with us. Does that make sense? And so think about it for a second. He's been where you've been. He's been where you're going to be. Think about it for a moment. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, wasn't he? One of the 12 disciples, one of the men that had followed him faithfully for at least three years, he backstabbed him. He betrayed him. He knows what the betrayal of someone close is like. He was questioned. People doubted him. He suffered physically and emotionally, didn't he? There is no denying that Jesus went through a level of physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering that we will never be able to empathize or sympathize with. He had conflict with friends and family. There's one point in the Gospels where it's recorded that Jesus actually had conflict with his brothers before they came to know him as their Savior. He had conflict with friends. He had conflict with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He knew conflict. He was falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Because he was falsely accused many times. He knows what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. He went into a desert voluntarily for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted. He knows what hunger and thirst looks like. He knows what physical exhaustion looks like. He knows what it feels like because he's experienced it in his own physical body. He knew death and grieving, didn't he? He knew the loss and the death of loved ones. At some point in Jesus' life, he lost his father, Joseph. He knows what it's like to mourn the loss of a parent. And not only that, he knew and saw the death of friends. He knew what it was like to grieve the loss of Lazarus. And there's going to be a sermon coming up in the the future about Jesus and Lazarus and him rising from the grave. But just a sneak peek, the little statement in that passage that says Jesus wept. The word wept doesn't mean he went... (laughs) The Greek word that's used there means he wailed and cried in sorrow. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone. Jesus knows that hurt. And he experienced the fear of pain and death. Now, none of us in this room have experienced death yet. Unless I don't know something about you. But Jesus knew pain and death. And and let me say a word of hope here. Many of you in this room are in the midst of great suffering. Many of you in this room are in the midst of pain. Jesus knows where you're at. Jesus knows the pain that you're experiencing. 
because he has felt it himself. And he not only empathizes and sympathizes with you, but he brings healing. He brings hope. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. You see, he can truly sympathize. We can have confidence that he truly sympathizes because he has truly gone through everything we go through in life. But not only the physical stuff, not only the pain and the backstabbing and all of those things, but he's also experienced every temptation that you and I could experience. He's faced everything. He's faced lust. He has faced pride. He has faced greed. He has faced selfishness and idolatry. He has faced the temptation to lie. And yet, according to Hebrews 4, he was without sin. Every temptation that you have experienced, that I have experienced, Jesus has experienced. And he went through those temptations and committed not a single sin in his life. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He's been there. And so here's the message of hope. Because he's been there, because he has experienced all of these things, he doesn't ever grow tired of us coming to him with our hurt. Those of you who are suffering this morning, whether it be physical, whether it be mental or emotional, or whether it be spiritual, Jesus never grows tired of you going to him and laying that pain, that suffering, that hurt at his feet. Jesus never gets tired of you asking for his help. I want you to look with me again at Hebrews 14. I want to look at verse 16 for just a moment. The very last verse of the chapter. And it says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Did you catch that? Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. His throne of grace, first off, tells us that he's going to give us the thing that we want yet don't deserve. And because we can do that, he will also give us confidence. Look at what else it says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Today, if you're hurting, God has mercy and grace for you. God has confidence for you. It doesn't mean that he's going to heal everything physically that's wrong with you necessarily, although he has the capability of doing that. It simply means that God has the ability to give you the hope, to give you the healing, and to give you the grace and mercy that you need to get through the pain that you're going through. Jesus never grows tired of you coming to him. But here's the thing. I want you to hear this last part. A few sentences and I'm done. Jesus never gets tired of you coming to him. But at the same time, he doesn't want you to come to him fake. He wants you to be open and transparent and honest with him. 
He doesn't want you to sugarcoat all of your pain and your suffering. He wants your raw heart. He wants to know how you truly feel so that in that openness, in that honesty and transparency, He can give you what you truly need in that moment. Don't sugarcoat things with God. He can read your mind. He knows exactly what you're thinking. So why do you sugarcoat it with Him when you go to Him in prayer? Go to Him Be honest, be transparent, be open with Him. Shed your tears, bring your hurt. But then when God brings that grace and that mercy, let go of that pain and hurt and take the grace and mercy that He provides. Live in the confidence that's found in the throne of grace. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank You so much for today. Lord, we thank You for who You are and we thank You that you provide the grace and the mercy that we so desperately need and that we can have confidence that you can provide these things because you have experienced every pain, every suffering, every temptation that we could possibly go through in this life. We thank you that we can have confidence in you. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to let go of the pain and suffering and embrace your mercy and grace when you offer it to us. Help us to live in you. We thank you so much and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of response in our service. Um, And and we've got many opportunities for you to respond this morning. First, if you want to pray, the, the altar is open. Come forward and pray here at the front if you would like to do that. If you need to talk with someone, myself and Pastor Josh are right up here at the front. We would love the opportunity to speak with you if you would like that. Um, or uh, if, if now is just not the right time, if you'd like to catch one of us after the service, um, not in front of everybody, uh, Josh is going to be up here at the front and myself, I'll be back in the back in the foyer. Uh, please come and talk to one of us if you need to talk to someone. If you need to talk to someone about beginning a life-changing relationship with Jesus, We would love to have that conversation with you. So let's stand and let's continue in response and worship.